Hey everyone, welcome to the Cutting Edge Podcast, where culture meets crypto. Today we have the pseudonymous hyperparity persona with a prominent voice on Twitter covering technology, gaming, and the future. Known for tweeting out great invention ideas, he has a decade of experience in the video game industry, and he's here to discuss his new blockchain gaming company, Board Box. Please welcome Board Elon Musk. Hey, Board Elon, how are you? Mr. Money, uh, I am great. You are my favorite uh, pixelated monkey with an orange hat, and I'm honored to be here. Good. Thank you so much. You know, I know we were just discussing this right before we started this, but like, you, I got like, I have real uh, Wizard of Oz vibes, you know, with the floating head and everything. I, I love it. <laughs> There, yeah. there is a a little guy in, in, behind the curtain that you know you can't see, but yes, definitely, definitely that vibe is is meant to come through. That it's amazing. How have have you been using this filter a lot? You know, I just got it about a month ago. A lot of people okay. have wanted to do video chats, and uh, mm -hmm. instead of being this you know boring static image, I felt like the next evolution of this uh, hyper parody account is to is to go full video and just creep people out. So here we are. It's amazing. I, I mean, I love it. it it's funny because we have the the same the same person that made mine is the one that made yours. Shout out to uh, Crypto Novo, um, and and his team out there that that made both of our filters. You know, I, I I love it. I use it all the time. Yeah, they they do great work, and I will say that it this technology works a lot better for like an illustrated image than it does for a human face. It gets real huh. weird if you use a human face. Uncanny Valley. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I you know I just figure. Might, might as well just dive right into it. Uh, I think one of the questions that I know I personally have, and I know we've spoken a couple of times, but I don't think we've ever really gone into it is what was your inspiration to start the persona as bored Elon Musk? It was, uh, so I, I've always kind of had a creative writing bent and, uh, used used Twitter and you know real life as my my government ID version and you know it was just too blank of a canvas and I kind of have always felt like a good creative exercise needs constraints it needs parameters and so I was inspired in 2013 when the real Elon um, put out a white paper for uh, a, tr a high-speed train called the Hyperloop and so he put out this 40 page white paper and basically said I don't have time to do this to build this thing but here's the instructions on how to do it. And so that triggered in my mind like, oh wow, this guy's a genius. And when he's bored, he he comes up with really great ideas and inventions. And what else does he come up with that maybe it was like, you know, sort of the, the B League ideas? Like what, what, what were sort of the cutting room floor ideas that he had when he was in the shower or taking a walk? And so that was the idea for Bored Elon is like, what does he think about when he is in those moments? And uh, since then, you know, since eight years ago, it's just kind of grown and really, caught the attention uh caught the attention of you know tech folks and people in silicon valley and you know i'm not gonna lie like the fact that he himself the real guy has you know grown in prominence and uh -huh. obviously become such a big influence on twitter uh is is partially you know helpful to me and cast a very positive halo on me so that was a little bit of dumb luck i just picked the right person to parody Right. I, I guess, you know, that's awesome. That's a crazy story. The, I, what are your thoughts on, on his purchase of, of Twitter? You know, I know everybody's been chatting about it for like last week or two. Well, I, I, I publicly and formally request to be put on the board. Uh, if he has a new board, <laughs> I would love a seat to represent uh, Anons and pseudonymous people. Um, I think it's good. I mean, like, Kudos to Twitter. It's a great company. I think they've made a lot of progress, um, but there are a lot of issues, and I think that they move pretty slow and have allowed a lot of other social platforms to kind of eat their lunch in terms of making money. And so I think that in my mind, the future of, of Twitter is that it is very decentralized, it is neutral, um, and it is a technology that literally will be used across space, you know, from planet to planet because it's such an easy, like simple messaging platform. And so who better, I think, to you know, push it towards that, 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 that future than somebody like Elon. My fear is that a guy who's building a rocket company and an automotive company doesn't really have time to do this. Um, and so that's the downside. So hopefully this is like a six to 12 month sprint for him where he basically hires a lot of smart people, puts the right rules in place. And then we basically get a chance to reboot Twitter and make it the, uh, the tool that it, that it needs to be. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I understand exactly what you're saying regarding the, uh, you know, somebody that's so busy, right? Running, running all these other businesses. Uh, yeah. But he always, he doesn't cease to amaze me with the amount of uh, like time. Like I know how little time I have and I'm not doing anywhere, anything even remotely close to what he's doing. 
and for him to be like, oh yeah, and I'm gonna do that, and I'm gonna do that. Like I'm, I'm just like always like in awe of it, right? Um, he he has to be like great at delegating. I, I that's I have for to sure, that. for I sure. To... I, I I can definitely take a few lessons there. I, I think in, in the space that we're in, it's hard not to kind of want to do everything yourself, but uh, mm-hmm. it's good to have smart people around you, smarter people, people who are smarter than you, basically helping you and doing stuff that you don't have time for. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I remember. I think it was. I was. I either read or watched something on Andrew Carnegie uh, from back at the turn of the last century. And I guess one of his special powers was that he was able to surround himself with people that were way smarter than him. Either he said this, or his biographer said this, or something like that. Where he found the best people in their respective fields and like hired them, and then tr- like listened to them. Right? Like he he never was like, oh, I know yeah. better than you because this is my business. And, you know, I, I think that there there's a huge key to that uh, in a lot of successful uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah, it was definitely something that uh, David Ogilvy, a famous advertising exec, also said. He said, surround yourself with giants. And I feel like, you know, in our space that we're in, people are so much more open to that and there's less ego. I think in, in the corporate world, um, sometimes people are afraid to hire people who are more skilled than them because they're afraid of like losing their own, you know, climb up the ladder. But mm. I don't know. Yeah, like in, in my opinion, um, you're only going to get better if you play against people who are better than you. And so mm. I think that that's just, you know, my, my my quick advice to anybody is like, don't don't be afraid to like hang out with people who are who are smarter than you. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great advice, especially for for younger people coming up. Yep. I, I want to talk about uh, a little bit about your persona, like, you know, board Elon Musk, right? Like that's your your Twitter handle. How like have have you ever been contacted by anybody on his team? And like, how has that been with regards to especially living in a pseudonymous world? And I'm only asking because I've been kind of going through this myself where it's like there's trademark issues and copyrights and like, you know, what does, you know, Elon own from his name? Right. Because it's just the name. And like I'm sure you've been delving down uh, that rabbit hole more than I have, because like. I create, you know, my my name is G Money, right? So it wasn't necessarily named after somebody else or, you know, a derivative of that person. So I'm super curious as to like the conversations you've had either with him, his team, or like I'm sure you've talked spoken to attorneys of with regards to this, uh, and like the the use of your handle. Yeah. The way I look at it is that um the Twitter, the Twitter rules, the current rules, unless he decides to change them, um, is that parody is okay. And so Twitter is really the only place where I use his name in my handle. Um, but increasingly, I, I've really tried to stick with going by board uh, and using that word board. So like even with the company, you know, that I recently started, um, it was very strategic to call it board box because no one owns either of those words. Um, I am trying to trademark the word board, which probably is a challenge, right? But I do have an application that is being reviewed right now. But that's the idea. And over time, I I do want to sort of try to shift away as much as possible um, from using Elon's name. And it's not an issue where I think that he or his legal team have a problem with what I'm doing. I think as long as I sort of maintain my parody approach on Twitter, things are good. He obviously has a good sense of humor. He's shit posting and putting memes up on on Twitter every day. So I I don't think it it would be on brand if he shut down the account. Um, but honestly, I, I think, yeah, I, I think over time, um, the idea is to kind of move away from him. And, um, that was part of the reason I even shifted to this green avatar. Like I used to have his face kind of a, a boring looking, you know, photo of him. And uh-huh. so like, this was the next stage of like moving away. It kind of looks like him vaguely, but you know, it isn't. And, um, and I think ideally, honestly, for me, if I can ever secure the at board handle on Twitter, like I'll gladly do that. And if he wants to help me make that happen great. I, I would totally do that and eliminate any issues of uh, infringing on his name. Yeah, no, fair enough. It's, you know, it's, it's funny because I was going through something very similar with CryptoPunks, right? Where, you know, here I was utilizing my ape as my, as my avatar. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was very limited in the things that I can do. So I, I, you know, it's just, it's interesting to, to find a fellow uh, pseudo Anon that uh was going down the same the same path that i was so it's it's well yeah yeah and and the hilarious thing is like now i have this issue with bots on twitter which maybe you feel as well but every time i post a tweet there's like you know 50 people who are bots that use my avatar without permission and uh and it's kind of funny like you know i'm a parody who's complaining about 
bots that are parroting me. Uh, so, so do I have a right to do that or, or not? I don't, I don't know. I mean, this artwork is mine. Like I paid, I, I had a commission, so one could argue that they shouldn't be doing what they're doing, but, um, yeah, that's the world we live in right now. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's going to be really interesting and like, yeah, I like how case law turns out, right? Like 10, 20 yeah. years from now based on precedents that are kind of getting set now. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, so you started off as a, as a Twitter persona, um, you know, tweeting uh, ideas that bored Elon Musk would possibly have. How did how did you find uh, crypto and specifically Web3? Because I remember uh, maybe it was in Janu January or February of last year, maybe March, where I started seeing you show up in like, uh, I'm not sure it was Clubhouse, but maybe it was just Twitter spaces. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, you know, here's a, a monster account, you know, with, you know, a million plus followers that's interested in, in NFTs. And this is back when like nobody was, you know, like that, you know, I think the biggest like NFT account might've been Pranksy at the time with like 50,000 followers or something. maybe yeah. hundred. And you know, like it, it was very, very notable, right? Like now, like every, everybody knows about NFTs, but I remember when you were coming into the rooms, I was like, Whoa, I'm like, all right, how can I help this person? I don't really know much about them, but how can I help them? How did you find out about NFTs and, and what got you uh, super interested in them? Yeah, I mean, I think when you started to observe me early in 2021, that that was the time when I really started to to pay close attention to the space. And um, it was interesting to me because like for the first seven years or so of running this account, it was very much a side project, um, something that I love to do for fun. And it was also important for me not to try to like monetize uh, too quickly. I think a lot of times people, unfortunately, like they gain a bit of influence on on social media, you know, 100,000 followers, whatever it might be. And it's like automatically, okay, let me go to brands and start, you know, shilling products and stuff. And I never really wanted to do that. Um, you know, I, I had a full-time job back then and um, was comfortable. So didn't really need to like try to make money using Board Elon. Um, but what happened is I discovered NFTs and I had always been in crypto, but for me, NFTs represented um, a lot more opportunities for creativity and creating products. And so, you know, the board Elon account itself is a digital version of a physical identity, right? Like basically this, this thing only lives online, hence the, the floating head that you're seeing right now. Um, and so what's the equivalent of that from like a product standpoint? Well, that's kind of NFTs, right? It is a digital version of things that people pay for in the physical world. You could argue it's maybe like a luxury product. It's not a necessary product, but there's a lot of luxury, unnecessary products in the real real world too, right? <laughs> Watches, cars, any piece of clothing that costs over probably $50. Like that that's most of the money we spend on probably outside of, you know, housing and food. And so for me, it kind of like lit up a light bulb of, okay, I have this community, I have this following, I've been making people laugh and, you know, entertaining people. How could that translate into um, using this platform to either create digital products or highlight the great work of other people? And what quickly sort of like, um, you know, the, the path that I quickly went on was, okay, I can sort of be like a, like a gallery. Um, like the art gallery model is very simple. Like a gallery has distribution. They have a place to display art. Um, and an artist comes in and they, 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 they display their art and they split it 50, 50. And so I started like finding really cool artists that were, you know, kind of in like the sci-fi genre or like creating really cool, you know, visual art that I, I really loved and just started partnering with them and like collaborating to create new types of art. And we would, you know, I would be the distribution and they would be the, uh, the talent and, uh, we'd split pro uh, proceeds 50, 50. And, and like, that's not necessarily what's amazing. What's amazing is that there was demand, right? There was a market for this, like, and, and now fast forward to today, there is a huge demand for these digital assets because I think enough people have finally stopped differentiating, um, value in physical and digital products. Like they just see them as one large category and it doesn't matter if it's a physical thing or not, it still can possess value. So that was kind of the beginning of the journey. And, you know, I was doing a lot of listening and just networking and I appreciate, you know, you know, our conversations early on and your willingness to, to help. You gave me really good advice, honestly, that I've used, um, in the last 12 months. Um, and, and where, you know, sort of the journey has shifted is, is to gaming because it made a lot of sense for me, like how this works for art, but it made even more sense to me how tokens work for gaming because like that's my industry i spent 10 plus years in the in the traditional gaming world i see how much money people spend 
uh, on in-game items that they can't really own. And so mm. for me, that was like, oh, okay, this is where I need to actually spend my time moving forward as an investor, as an advisor, and as a builder. Right. Yeah. And, and that makes sense. The, when you, did you, did you make that connection right away? And you were, cause like, it's funny cause I see my, my journey in the space and there were, there were things that I made connections right away that I'm like, ah, oh, it's still like a little too early. And I want to make sure I totally fully understand the space. Right. Cause like, yeah, I, I think a, a mistake a lot of people make when they come into the space is they're like, Oh, like I want to sell NFTs. I want to start a project. I want to do this and like make a bunch of money and then figure it out. And it's like, I think you have to be a little more uh, cognizant of what you're doing. Right. And have a yeah. little bit more of a game plan. And I feel like you've done that. Right. Cause like you've been really deep in the space for at least a year now, a year plus, And, you know, now you're working on your project. Right. And yeah. You know, like I, and I was, but was that like originally your thought where you're like, oh, like gaming, like boom, right away. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to work my way into what my vision is. It, I see myself as a curious person and I like to learn about, you know, different elements of a, of a, of a topic that I dive into. And so it was not the original intent at all. And I think partially was because I just never saw use cases for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so at first you know, I started to kind of understand how art works and I spent a little bit of time there, but I quickly realized like, I'm not a fine art guy. I don't want to come in and just feel like a poser and pretend like this is a space that I'm knowledgeable about because I wasn't. Then I shifted to collectibles, right? And that's like where you're looking at, you know, bored apes and punks and, and that whole world. Um, that made sense, right? Cause I used to collect stuff as a kid, um, you know, rocks, playing cards, X-Men stuff <laughs> that, that, that was like, okay, cool. I, I get this as a consumer. Um, but it's not necessarily something that I feel like I can be a contributor to. And then I started to see examples of, of games being built and they weren't necessarily like the same level of games that you're used to seeing on like a PlayStation five or, you know, a PC, but they were like early versions of games. And, um, personally in real life, I, I designed and published two tabletop games and one, one digital game. And I was like, Oh, okay. This is a space. I know it's a space that I've worked in for a very long time. I can actually be a leader and a creator here and have credibility to do so. And I, and I share that credibility through, you know, talks like this and through writing blog posts and, you know, being on Twitter spaces. Like I, I'm somebody who doesn't feel comfortable speaking in public unless I know what I'm talking about. And gaming is something I can talk about endlessly. And so that's where it clicked. So it was an evolution that, that I arrived at later after I sort of understood the technology of blockchain. Um, before that, it was all just like, you know, buying and just trading coins, you know, Bitcoin, mm -hmm. Ethereum, et cetera. But that was always boring. That was like kind of just like buying stocks. Um, mm -hmm. NFTs were where like, you know, that was where I saw endless opportunities. And then, yeah, land, landed on gaming basically, um, you know, when I felt like, okay, this is a place where I can contribute. And who knows, I might veer into other directions, but I do think for the for the next, you know, 12 to 24 months, this is going to be my focus area. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. Because I, I, I kind of went down a very similar path, right? Where um, trading crypto, uh, there is obviously who doesn't like making money, but at the end <laughs> of the day, it's like, all right, well, what next, right? Like, what can I build? How can I contribute? What can I do to kind of like, what am I passionate about that I want to work on that I think I can add value to, right? So I, I definitely yeah. understand exactly uh, the, the approach that you're taking. It's very, it's, it's funny because I feel like our, our paths with regards to pseudonymity and the way we're approaching the space are, are just so similar um, yeah. in the sense that when I got into the space too, I was like, I don't, I don't need to monetize, right? Like I don't need to monetize my account. Uh, so I only want to do cool shit that I want to do and not necessarily do things for the money. Right. And being fortunate yeah. enough to be in that position. Um, it's that classic like question you ask people of if you didn't have to worry about money again, like what would you do? How would you spend your time? And um, I think if you do things right for a while, make the right investments, um, you know, you get to that point where hopefully you've made enough that you're satisfied with. And to some degree, you're making money while you sleep because of, you know, interest and investments. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, then you can just go and build and, and do whatever you want. Um, that number is different for everybody. Uh, it depends where you live. But um, yeah, definitely feel feel fortunate to have made a few good, you know, early investments. And I, I attribute that to curiosity. It always comes back to that. Like, you know, people, 
people might think, oh, you know, you spent 12 months in, in the space and all of a sudden, you know, you, you made a little bit of bank and, 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 and now you can, you know, not worry about life. But like, you know, I was buying Bitcoin uh, on Mt. Gox at 2013. This has not been like a slow <laughs> process of learning. I've been very involved and very curious. And this this whole story could have gone very differently. I could I could have zero dollars right now because none of this turned out the way it did. You know, Bitcoin could be worth five dollars and Ethereum uh, stopped working. But, right. you know, <laughs> the curiosity led, led, led me down one road that worked out. Um, and there are plenty of failures I've had. And I think that, um, you know, doing this whole pseudonymous thing has maybe gave me a bit more bravery to try and fail in public and not worry about how I look. Right. Yeah, no, I, it's funny because, you know, when I, when I started my, my account, the G-Money account, right, part of it was for OPSEC, right, to, mm -hmm. to protect myself. But then also part of it is like, you know, coming from a traditional finance world, like I remember when I first started talking to my my finance friends about NFTs and like, I, I mean, I remember I have a couple of their like faces like ingrained in my memory of the look that they were giving me. Like, <laughs> they were like, are you kidding me? Right. Like that look. Uh, yeah. And like, you know, it's like sometimes you want to be behind that veil where it's like if you fail, you don't necessarily want it to be so public. Right. And that's obviously the yeah. um, the the kind of help that pseudonymity will give you, right? Um, and I think yeah. it's very powerful. And I, I, I'm guessing in your case, especially like if you're coming from more of a uh, traditional conservative industry, you know, and you're telling people like you're you're trading pictures of of digital <laughs> monkeys and stuff, they're just it's even weirder, right? Like, yeah. Um, and then and then you get to like you know. Then, then you're attending like family gatherings with seeing people in your family you haven't talked to in six months. And they're like, Hey, what are you up to? And like, you don't even know where to start that conversation. Right. You're almost better off just making up a story like, Oh, I'm an investor, whatever. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. No, it's, it's funny. Like sometimes I, you know, when I, when I want to fuck with people, I'll just be like, yeah, like I'm, I'm a collector of JPEGs on the internet. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, and they're like, what? I mean, now, now people start to understand a little more, but like six, eight months ago, it was really like I have no idea what that is, right? I'm um, I'm curious, like what your you talked a little bit about, you know, protecting your identity and stuff, and mm -hmm. like I'm curious, like what your strategy is when you go to uh, live events and conferences. Like I went to my first one as board about a month ago, and it was very careful. I only met with like people that I knew. Uh -huh. um, how do you how do you kind of balance that? Um, I I kind of don't anymore. It's you know when I when I first came out when I was first going to conferences. Uh, it, it's interesting because like, you know, everybody wants to know, like, you know, what are you doing? Like, if you meet somebody, you're like, okay, what are you working on? How can we work together? This and that. So like the first couple of times, like I would get, tell people, uh, you know, who I was, and then they would be trying to figure out, like, I, I give them like my, my birth name and, you know, they'd be trying to figure out who I was and being like, all right, well, what do you do? Right. Like, you know, what, like, how can we work together? And then I'd be like, yeah, like I'm G money. And they're like, Oh, G money. And so yeah. like, to me, it's like, there was like an awkward, like three to five minutes in every conversation where people would be trying to figure out who, you know, like what I was about. And so now then I was just like, you know what? I just introduced myself as G money and mm -hmm. you know, people uh, will know uh, who I look like, what I look like, but like not everybody knows like my real name. And yep. so that to me is, uh, I guess at, at this point, right? Like there's no way, like I, I am a social person and I want to be going to these conferences because I think, you know, a lot of great ideas uh, get spun up at these conferences. Like I, yeah. I, it's funny enough, I even, I, one of, I did a POAP event, uh, last Bitcoin Miami, and I wasn't there because I was really leaning into the pseudonymity, but I was, I had, I hired a, a female model to give out POAPs. And like, there was a, a group of people that congregated and there was like five or six of them that were hanging out. And I found out months later that a DAO and a hedge fund were spun up out of it. Wow, you know, like that's that, amazing. That's awesome. You know, like these two guys, they ended up spinning up. I think they raised like 35 or $40 million for a fund and uh, they helped start a DAO. And so it's like, and that was because they met at like my, my POAP event. And I was like, wow, that's like, that's really fucking cool, right? Like here we are like, you know, living in a digital world, but at the same time, we're still 
having a physical experience. Right? Yeah, so, no, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely want to get to the point where um, Boardbox can can hold like gaming events live. But right now, my 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 thinking is like getting like a Daft Punk style helmet and just like yeah. putting putting the face on there because there's right. just some fun in the mystery, you know, remaining. Because once once the cat's out of the bag, it's it's done and yeah. no one's gonna care. I mean, I think it's just it's better if nobody knows. But I think there's just a limit to how long this uh this charade can go on. Yeah, no, I I agree. Right? It's like you know, I can either be you can either be fully digital, right? And then not have those IRL experiences. Um, or, you know, you just cross that chasm and you're like, all right, it is what it is, right? Um, but yeah, it, it's been a fun experience and it's like a little bit different every time. And, you know, sometimes, you know, people like, cause again, like I had a life before I got into into NFTs, right? So people like know about my previous life. It's not, it's not a secret and, and stuff like that. So, but it's been interesting to watch it play out in real time. Yeah, I realize this is also like a very specific problem. <laughs> so I guess yeah. I apologize for bringing it up. Every, everyone who's listening no, is like, I, know, this is weird. <laughs> I know, but listen, I'm sure there, there are a lot of people that like, it's funny because like I was on a call yesterday with uh, a video game freak, right? Mm -hmm. And like, you know, he people, he's docs, people know his name, but like, you know, he just introduced himself as, as VGF, right? And it's yeah. like, because that's how people know him. So it's, it's. It's it's fun. It's like and it's like a new problem that I think it's like that it's going to be on the cusp of everything going forward. Yeah. But yeah, let's let's talk. Let's get into board box a little bit. Um, so what is it exactly? I, I know it's it has to do with gaming, right? It's it's yeah. something that you've been thinking about for a long time. Uh, like, let's go over like the exact specifics of, of what it is and, you know, what you're looking to achieve. Yeah, so I, I think it's important just for everyone to understand the basic premise of, of what blockchain gaming is. Um, and I'll use like real world video games uh, to set the example because I think that's just the easiest way to understand it. So imagine a game like Fortnite or Rocket League. Um, you, you can play this game. It's free. And those companies, they make money when you buy uh, different aesthetic items, right? It might be like a skin or a weapon or a different kind of car, uh, accessories, whatever it might be. Um, you don't have to do those things. They're just kind of like status symbols, the same way that people have status symbols, you know, in, in the real world. And so the reality is like you, you paid money for this, this product, this, this object, um, and you get to use it in a digital world that has been built, but you don't really own it. You don't get to like trade it to somebody or sell it to someone the same way that you used to be able to like buy a video game and then like trade it in at GameStop or like sell it to a friend. And so we've kind of lost this, I, this opportunity of digital ownership for games and game assets. And so the next wave of, of gaming, in my opinion, is going to be blockchain gaming, where basically you do own the games that you are playing. You either are an equity partner in that game or you own the assets that you buy for that game. And this this is something that cl hit close home cl uh, hit close to home for me because like I've I'm somebody who's played a lot of games and I've spent a lot of money on gaming as have, have many others out there and so um, the the problem that I wanted to solve for I feel like every business needs to kind of solve a problem is that um, with everything that's been going on in like Web three and NFTs and blockchain when I found myself sitting down to play games for a few hours, I, I felt FOMO. I was like, oh, what's, you know, I need to know what's going on on Discord and Twitter and Spaces and Clubhouse. Like I'm missing all the cool stuff that's happening. And that kind of bummed me out. Like I, I really enjoyed, you know, the artistry of, of gaming and enjoying sort of like other worlds and stories that people have, have created. And so like, I wanted to basically have a product where somebody could just tell me, okay, here are the projects you should pay attention to. Here are the games that are coming that you should invest your time and money into. And then let me go back to like living my life and doing what I wanted to do, which was to go play that game. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's essentially what Boardbox is, is I'm taking my expertise in the traditional video games world and in blockchain, and I'm going to curate with my team the best uh, existing or upcoming blockchain games on the market. And so we're going to package those up into a box, very similar to like, if anyone's ever heard of like Birchbox or Loot Crate or any of those kind of like surprise sample boxes, it's basically just a digital version of that. So um, we're going to drop a thousand boxes at a time and they're going to be five game items from five different games. And the whole idea is you're just trading money for time. So like you can basically have more time to play games and not go search around for what might be a good game. Like we're going to do that work for you. And so that's kind of part one of the business is the box itself. And then part two is the reveals. So instead of people going and like unboxing the the items themselves and sort of having that moment individually, 
we're going to put on these big reveal events. So we're going to bring everybody together, have a reveal day, and then together we're going to show what's inside the box for that particular edition. And um, it's going to be very similar to like if anyone's ever you know watched trailers at like E3 or Comic-Con, it's going to be kind of like that. We're going to unveil the game, show gameplay footage, show what the assets are inside the box together in a live stream. Um, and then we're going to talk to the game developers, like interview them, ask about their inspiration, what made them come up with like the, the game mechanics. And it's going to be very gaming focus. I think that anybody who kind of has observed the, the blockchain gaming space today has probably seen a lot of people over indexing on these games as like investment tools and ways to like make money. Um, we're not going to talk about any of that. Like we're not going to have to provide a disclaimer about this not being financial advice because we're just going to talk about games and stories and characters. So very much like what people are used to with gaming. Um, right. And so, yeah, the idea is to do like, you know, drops of a thousand occasionally throughout the year and just make it an ongoing uh, opportunity for people to discover new games. That's awesome. And so I have a, a, a couple of questions. So will each box, will every box have the same items or will there be like maybe some sort of rarity where maybe like one out of the drop gets like a rare item or something? So yeah, the, the idea of uh, loot box mechanics in gaming is is highly criticized. People don't necessarily love that because it feels like gambling. And, mm -hmm. and we definitely took that to heart. So when we're negotiating with um, the game studio partners that we're working with, mm -hmm. um, we basically ask them for a thousand assets uh, of equal rarity. They don't necessarily have to be like the same exact item, but they basically are going to be same rarity because we want everybody who pays an ETH for this box to feel like they're getting the value that everybody else is. And so generally speaking, like, you know, our, our sort of discussion with the game studios is we don't want, you know, a few good rare things and really and a bunch of like common things. We're like, just give us, you know, as best as you can and a thousand of that item. And so we think that'll make people really happy because right. there's not going to be sort of like this gambling mechanic. And that's that's really important too because like we're trying really hard to find people who like video games. We don't necessarily want, you know, board boxes to be bought up by just people who are arbitraging and like trying to get a good deal. Like, yes, we think the game assets are awesome and they're going to be, you know, super important for players. And our hope is that you want to keep them and play with them and not, you know, just trade them on OpenSea. Right. Yeah, and so I guess you bring up a really good point there. What do you, what has, I mean, I feel like the traditional gaming industry has had uh, some really not nice things to say about NFTs. I guess what's your response to that, and what what are your thoughts on you know what that onboarding looks like going forward? Yeah, I mean, there I would say it's a vocal minority um, of people who are really raging against gaming. Uh, NFTs. And um, there's different lines of criticism, and I dismiss most of them except for one, which is that um, people are afraid that if you um, allow a game to be a place to monetize and turn it into sort of a job, uh, a bunch of people, a bunch of players are going to come in and basically exploit that and that in doing so, they will ruin the game experience for everybody else. And so I, I definitely understand that, that criticism. I think it is valid. And I think that it's on good game developers to find that balance. Like I think about um, sports. And so like there are people who watch uh, pro sports on television for free. They enjoy that, that game, that, you know, that sort of experience. They don't have to spend any money at all, except for like, you know, a cable bill or whatever it is. Um, there are other people who watch that same sport uh, but they bet on it or they play like fantasy sports and there's a lot of money involved. And the, the key thing is like the people who are putting money into that sport, they don't ruin the experience or in any way, you know, negatively impact the people who are there for free. And that's the, that's exactly what like good game developers have to do. If you want to build a blockchain game, it needs to work for both parties in a, in a really powerful way. And I think, unfortunately, some of the, the games that you see on the market today don't balance that very well, and that the people who are there to monetize are, in fact, like ruining it for the people who are there for just fun. So I think, you know, as we see more games, that, that problem will be solved. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, th I think in terms of the criticism, like, I, I don't actually think it's very widely held. Um, I went to the Game Developers Conference, which is one of the largest, like, developers conferences in, in the United States. And I talked to people who are not in blockchain, who are just developing games. And 80% of them, honestly, were just like neutral or open to it. And they they basically just were afraid to talk about it because they've seen the backlash online. And I just think it's going to take time for you know people to get onboarded, as you said, and understand how to how to use this tech and how it works in games. And, and this is like a cycle that happens frequently. Like when people learned how to play online games for the first time 20 years ago, they had to learn how to use a modem and how to like mm -hmm. use a server and like all this like really nerdy 
tech that was kind of hard to figure out at first. Like they did it because they wanted to play these games with their friends around the world. And so like there was that period of like onboarding that took place and it was messy and we're going through that now and we'll get through it. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I, and I, I think, a, I think you bring up valid, a really valid point uh, about that, about the game experience, right. Of like, you know, there's a lot of different stakeholders in that game. Right. And I think uh, I'm not sure if you've spoken to Brooks Brown, uh, but, you know, he he kind of very much talks about this as well. Uh, and and uh, for the games that they're building over at Noor, and yep. it's just very much like you don't like you. You want somebody like when you play soccer. You, like it, it you, the amount that you take home at the end of the game isn't determined by the number of goals you score that day. Right. right. And right. like like that, that is the game. Right. Like there's games around the game. Right. Like the gambling, the watching. Um, you know, the salary and all that salary cap management, that's all, those are games that are centered around the ultimate game, which is just, you know, what is it? 20, you know, 22 players on the pitch. Right. And exactly. so, yeah, and that's really like kind of what I think is missing at the moment in blockchain gaming, which I think over like to your point is like, we'll get there over time. Right. Yeah. And it also just has a marketing problem. Like I'm somebody who spent a lot of time launching um, really large franchises or help help launch large franchises. And the way to sell a game is to talk about the game, right? Why, what are the game mechanics? What are the stories? Why is it different from other games? And a lot of times you go on like the websites of blockchain games and they're talking about tokens and like, you know, roadmaps for technology and, and DeFi stuff. And I'm like, this is not what a game player is interested in right so we need to like change the language and about how we talk about these games if i were building a game today and and could fund it without like raising money ahead of time i would build a game that for the first six months honestly there was no blockchain elements at all and then once people were hooked on the game then i would start to introduce them and make that an option like it wouldn't be a requirement but it would be an option for those who wanted more skin in that game and i think that would be a really smart approach but instead you have people who are kind of using like nfts as like a kickstarter right like hey games are expensive we need money to pay for it um you know and we're going to sell you nfts in advance and then maybe in three years you'll get a game right. and like that's just a hard proposition mm -hmm. yeah no i i totally agree right and yeah I, it's going to be interesting to see how how this all plans out because i think a lot of teams have promised a lot of things that they're probably not going to be able to deliver on yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. I, so, you know, I, I'm somebody who is trying to be like a patient educator. I, I understand the criticisms and I'm just trying to be sort of like the nice patient guy who is helping onboard people, um, you know, on the sort of adoption curve, there's always going to be the people at the, at the extreme end who are just laggards and they're going to fight and argue along the way. Um, and that's fine. I'm going to focus on kind of like the first, the first left half of people who are open or neutral and willing to learn. Right. Yeah. And so I want to, uh, just, I guess, a couple of questions on the actual, the box itself. So is each box drop going to be a separate sale or is it like a subscription or like, how does that work? Yeah. So each box drop is going to be a thousand units. Um, and we're, we're doing things slightly differently. Um, we're basically asking people to apply. Um, and it's not like a big daunting survey. It's like, it'll take two minutes, but it just asks questions about your gaming habits. So we can kind of filter out the the gamers versus the the JPEG flippers. Um, mm. But yeah, every drop is going to be a, a different set of five games. And so we didn't want to do a subscription because um, first of all, we don't necessarily want to lock ourselves into a certain number of boxes per year. It really depends on the market. Like if there aren't enough games on the market for us to curate, then we don't want to we don't want to put them out there like i'm putting my reputation on the line to make these recommendations so we're going to go as much as like the, the the market allows and the other thing is like the reality of how much time people have to play like most gamers have a backlog of three five games you know that is just sitting there and they're waiting to start uh because they're still playing like elden ring or something for 300 hours and right. so like we don't think people are going to want to subscribe to something that you know is going to potentially give them like 10 or 20 games in a year so yeah each each box drop is really meant to be kind of a standalone opportunity um what we will do however is that if you buy a board box um once you claim your items and get all the stuff from that particular drop the box doesn't get burned it's just it stays in your wallet as opened or claimed and the uh the image like the metadata actually changes so people know that um and then that effectively becomes a mint pass so in the future if you do want to buy a board box uh, a new one you can get priority in line before everybody else to do it and then the other thing is we're going to 
um, maintain really good, uh, you know, relationships with our past game studios and work with them to do future airdrops and just kind of reward people who continue to hold on to those boxes with fun surprises. They might not be as like, you know, um, elaborate as the original items they paid for in their board box, but they're just kind of fun accessories that we want to keep uh, sending over to people as a, as a thank you. So it'll, it'll continue to have value after the uh, initial drop. Awesome. That, that makes total sense. And then the, have you released uh, which which games you're including in the first box or is that? Um, no. So it's it's going to be a surprise. And so that's okay. that's kind of the big reveal day is when we're going to show what's inside. And, you know, I, I fully appreciate the fact that for this first sale, like we're asking people to spend one ETH uh, on five games. It is a premium product, absolutely. And like after we we do our first reveal, I think we'll prove that we're, we're good at this and we're providing people with really cool stuff. Um, but it, we're very appreciative of the of the folks that are you know willing to like gamble on us and uh, you know take a bet on the fact that like it's gonna be it's gonna be worth their time. Um, after I think after the first reveal, people will be excited about box two, three, and four, etc. But right. awesome. uh, <laughs> yeah, nice. um, now, now I'm getting excited. The, are are these going to be games that are already live or games that are still in development? It's going to be a mix. So our goal is for every box to have at least one game that is playable today. Um, and I can say for the first one, we'll have two. Uh, the rest, we, we're we trying to pledge to have um, items that are going to be playable within the next six months. Because, you know, again, like we don't want to encourage flipping. So mm-hmm. if, we, if we're asking you to hold on to something, our, our promise is like you're going to be able to play it this year. Um, And it might be like an alpha or beta test, but it'll be something that is actually usable. Right. All right. Cool. I mean, that that sounds super exciting. I know I'm I'm excited to see it. And when when is the the first drop? So we're going to start the the mint on um, May 10th. We're basically doing like a a pre-sale with with folks that we we know are, you know, core gamers and will appreciate this. But we're always uh, pledging to keep half of the uh, the inventory for a, a public sale. And, and by public, again, it, it's people who have filled out the application and, um, you know, have shown us that they're interested in, in gaming. So um, I would say the, the week of May 9th is, is the one to look out for. And um, we're doing something a little bit differently in terms of keeping people up to date. We're really focusing on Telegram for updates. So we're not doing a Discord. Like our whole promise is we want to save you time so you can play games. And right. um, Discord's a little bit at this point antithetical to that because it, it, it takes a lot of attention. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, if you go to boardbox.io, just sign up for the telegram or email if you want to be a boomer that's that's fine too we love email <laughs> and um, is, is yeah. that just a, a telegram like announcement channel it's just announcement so like we'll send posts like once in a while it's not going to be very busy uh it's right. basically like a better version of email so yeah right. that's that's the place where we'll always send information first and it's kind of we're calling it the source of truth uh it's unhackable mm-hmm. and it's something that we control and we won't bug people until there's something important happening Amazing. Yeah. Very much looking forward to that. Um, well, yeah, thank you for, for coming on. I I know now we're gonna, we're gonna do some rapid fire questions, um, that with people that responded to our posts with, uh, questions that they have for both you and me. Oh, that's awesome. I, uh, I remember tweeting, uh, asking people to, to make the questions weird. So curious to see what we came back with. All right, cool. So I'll, I'll start with, uh, the first question. So we have, Oh man, I'm not even gonna pronounce the name. We have we have somebody from Twitter asking, <laughs> what are the most important tasks for building a Web3 brand and why? I think you'll appreciate this. Um, so behind the scenes networking and like building those reputations uh, outside of the public eye, I think is so important. Um, you know, we, I think both of us do a good job of, you know, participating in in public spaces and like responding to people and doing all that. But I think that, you know, having the one on one discussions like, you know, the both of us have had and just like building that trust with really, you know, important people, smart people, helpful people, um, providing people with value before you need to ask them for value is is super important. Like I think about a, a situation where like if I lost my Twitter account tomorrow, like that would be a big blow to me. But because I've spent time meeting with hundreds of people behind the scenes, I still think I'd be okay, honestly. I think I would still make it, as the cool kids say. <laughs> so I, I think that's super important. And then when it comes down to um, you launching your own project or, or company, um, I think those people will remember the time that you took to meet with them in person. And hopefully you, you can get their endorsement, which I think is really important in a world where people you know, are skeptical or, or not sure you know, who to trust in, in Web3. Yeah. Yeah. To, to add to that is I think, I think the, 
the one-on-one networking is the number one thing. And then also just acting with integrity, right? So to what you just said, right, is it's very, I've had so many great um, interactions with people that I don't like, you know, even, even yourself, like we've never chatted like voice chat. I don't know your name. And yet, like, I know exactly who you are. We've chatted on the phone plenty of times and I know who you are as a person. Right. And you know who I am as a person. And that to me tells me like all I need to know is like, all right, is this somebody I feel comfortable working with? Is it somebody that uh, I feel comfortable endorsing uh, if, if and when that there's a need for it? And to, to, to also build on what you said is just the, uh, you know, giving, giving before asking, right. Is like, yep. you know, I always, I was at, it, it was funny. I was, I was at dinner with somebody last night and I go, I asked them, I'm like, well, what do you want to work on? And they're like, Oh, like th- you're the first person like in crypto that's ever asked me that. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I just, I want to know, cause I, I come across a ton of people uh, that are working on a ton of different things. And maybe somebody mentioned something to me and like, Oh, that's exactly what you're interested in. So I can make that connection, you know? So. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I always think about this idea of like a trust bank. Like you have to put money in that bank and build trust with people uh, before you, tr- you try to extract value. Um, and I think like in my case, people are always really surprised that I'm willing to to help them and, and take time. And, you know, I'm, I'm just a normal person like you or anybody else. And so I think it, it goes an even longer way, honestly. Um, yeah. and, I, and, and I love that people appreciate it. Um, all right, cool. I'll do the next one. So we got a question on Twitter from someone who goes by wealth with a like five H's at the end. And the question is, um, considering all the achievements you do have, what is something you really want, um, but you don't think you'll ever be able to achieve? Oh man. Um, I don't think I've ever thought about that. Um, well, I, that's a really tough one. I try not to think of, I, I, I think as I've gotten older, I try not to focus on the things that I don't have, but to be grateful for the things that I do. Like I know that uh, I always had uh, this number I wanted to hit when I was a kid, uh, younger, you know, it's when, when I was growing up, uh, I remember like all kids would be like, oh, I want to be like a baseball player and like be like, you know, Derek Cheater, like whatever. And like, I never wanted to be like the baseball player. I wanted to be the guy that owned the baseball team. Cause then like, if I can pay the baseball player like $50 million, then like, how well am I doing as the team owner? And like, that was like always the way, the way I viewed it. Um, and probably about 10 years ago, I, I realized that, you know, like I was going to do really well in my life, but like, I just wasn't going to probably hit like the, you know, richest person on the world status, uh, because of the choices that, that I made. and, And that was fine. And like, I was just like, all right, like, you know, reset expectations because that was like a 20 30 year thing that like i had always been growing up with and you know i i think i I've, I've done a lot of of work uh on myself emotionally and mentally uh and like i think part of that is very much like being okay with what you have and understanding that like you know no matter how much or how little it is or how much you perceive it to be you know like pain and suffering is from perception, right? And yeah. it's like how you perceive your reality, whether it's true or not. And to me, it's, I try not to focus on the things that I don't necessarily have and focus more on being grateful for the things that I do have. Yeah, I love that. I, I always find it to be a helpful exercise to just think back 10 years and like compare your current self to your past self. And like, you know, if you if you are better off and, and i'm sure in your case you are you should be happy and you should be comparing yourself to that person not to like anybody else mm-hmm. um because everyone's everyone's sort of like happiness versus money curve is is different um mm-hmm. and personally i think it's like it is like a bell curve where you know you need a certain amount of money to be happy but then if you have too much it starts to be really uh, a burden on you mm-hmm. very like buddhist mentality so there's kind of like that perfect amount and everybody has to decide what that is for them yeah for sure um, okay, so Twerky, Twerky Club, I love Twerky, asked, <laughs> what's your favorite chicken sandwich? All right, you have to promise um, that you don't judge me when I respond. Never. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so do you remember uh, the KFC Double Down? Uh, is that the one that had the chicken sandwiches as the buns? Yes, no? that, that is correct. All right, so I, 
I am not going to say that it was the best tasting uh, chicken sandwich. I don't think it is, but I, it's my favorite because I just was so impressed with the genius behind like, Hey, we're going to replace bread with fried chicken. Oh, what a great idea. And like, you know, bread is just empty calories and it has no function other than holding the contents of the sandwich. And so like the double down, they rejected that. They're like, no, forget the norms of how sandwiches are made. We're going to use, we're going to use the components of the sandwich as the container for the sandwich. <laughs> so that's yeah, my totally. favorite. Yeah. And, and like, not, not a dietitian advice. Uh, you should, you should not eat like more than one of these a year. It's really bad. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think the beautiful part of it, it sounds like it's very keto friendly, right? You get the, fried, the fried chicken part of it, but yeah. Yeah. No, the breading I, is kind of not really on brand with keto, but well, you know, yeah, sure. But, but yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I go with my favorite chicken sandwich. I'll go with the, so I, I'll go with two. It, one is a chicken parm, like a really good chicken parm from like a good Italian place. Uh, I growing up in New York, I feel like you know you walk into like a good Italian deli, you can get mm -hmm. a great chicken parm. But also uh, a variation of that would be like the chicken cutlet with like you know lettuce, tomatoes, onions, and like oil and vinegar. Like I, I like love those. Like when I go, I'm, my mouth is watering right now just thinking about it. Oh man, uh, that that's great. I I will say, and I don't think this will dox me because I've talked about it publicly. But I live in Southern California and um, grew up in other cities, and I will say the sandwich quality is not as high out here, unfortunately, right. as it is in the East and Midwest. All right, cool. So our next question that came in uh, is from Meta Giaji, uh, and it is, in your opinion, what are the most important what are the most important points of judgment for a good project? Um, man. Okay. I, I mean, I think that's just so it, it is, there's so many different ways to answer this. I guess when I take a look at projects and whether I want to get involved, one is I, I normally don't get involved in the mint that much anymore. Uh, just because I, I don't have enough time to do enough research. Um, like the things that I look at, number one thing is the community. And I'm not just talking about people like uh, pumping the project or number of wallet holders. It really is, it's like, just like the quality of people and like the, the, the way people are engaged uh, in that community and how much they like the project, whether the price is pumping or not, right? Like, I think that that to me is probably one of the most important things, right? Like, cause when people take a look at, it's funny cause people are like, oh, this is a blue chip. And you know, the only thing that you're using to determine whether something's a blue chip is the floor price, right? And, and literally nothing else. And you know, I. And maybe that's just a function of where we are at this point in the cycle. But I, I do think that over the long run, you want a community that's there. Uh, so you look, you take a look at some of the stronger communities that have been around for, you know, one, two plus years. And, you know, they're, they have like a feel there. There's a certain type of vibe that each community has to it. And I can't really put my finger on what it is, but I just know that it's like, all right, cool. Like I, I, I fuck with these people, right? Like these people are like, regardless of whether we're making money or not, these are people that I want to talk to and interact with. Right. Yeah. I like that. And my quick ad would just be like time horizon. Uh, how long has somebody been around? I think especially with like Anon and pseudonymous accounts, like if somebody spun up a Twitter account three months ago and then they're going and building a project and asking for, you know, $5 million in NFT sales. I, you know, I, I steer clear of that. Like I want somebody to put in the work and build that trust. Like we talked about earlier before they ask for something. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's, yeah, that's definitely, I guess to add to, to, to what, what I just said is that that is really like a really good way to go about it. Right. Is like, but having a docs team, having an idea or they don't necessarily have to be docs, but they have to have that relationship um, yeah. with the community. Uh, so Ryan struck asks, what are your favorite and least favorite inventions you've tweeted about? I think uh, the answer to this question is the same, is going to be the same one. <laughs> uh, it, it, so it relates to leaf blowers. So I live in a place where, um, you know, this might not apply to everybody listening, but I live in a place where there are a lot of leaf blowers, especially like early on Sunday morning. And it always, like a lot of my inventions are always kind of like silly solutions to things that uh, are problems or that annoy me. <laughs> so um, 
And so like, I always, I always kind of hate that. And like beyond the noise of leaf blowers, what always struck me as hilarious and stupid was it just seems like people are blowing leaves like onto somebody else's property. Like they're not actually solving <laughs> the problem of removing the leaves. They're just like making it your problem. And so the, uh, the invention I tweeted about, and I did like an illustration for it was um, basically you have a fence and at the bottom of a fence, um, there are blowers there. And so like they blow the leaves right back at anybody who's blowing leaves towards your property. So <laughs> it, it sort of avoids it being problem. It doesn't, it doesn't solve the, the noise issue, but it does, a, it does solve for like, you know, your, your yard getting dirty. So yeah, right. that's my, that's my favorite and least favorite. Cause it's like a problem I hate. Uh, that's hilarious. What, did you ever find that you were like at a loss for coming up with inventions and you felt like, man, like I have to come up with something. Oh, dude, that's like my daily life now. It's so hard right. after eight years to come up with uh, with stuff. I mean, I've really been writing them myself. Like occasionally I'll get somebody to submit one and I'll, I'll pay him a little bit, you know, if I tweet about it. Um, I don't know. Like I've, I've, I've always struggled with this idea of like paying comedy writers to, to write ideas for me. First of all, uh -huh. it's really hard. And secondly, I just feel like the magic is in my voice that I've kind of crafted over right. time. But yeah, I mean, as I've sort of developed a, a slightly more robust personality with different interests, I've tweeted less about the inventions and some, some of the OG followers miss it and they, they call me out on it, but you know, I try my best to occasionally throw one in at least once a week. All right. Cool. All right, cool. I think we're on our last question. Um, which superpower would you not want? Oh, which superpower would I not want? Um, oh. <laughs> man, I don't know. All, uh, man, I. It'd be much easier to answer if I knew what I wanted. Which superpower would I want? I would I'll give you. Want... I'll give you an example if it's helpful. Okay, for sure. All right. So, are you, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, X Men, but like Cyclops, I feel like that's yeah. a huge problem. Like you can't really like open your eyes without wearing ugly glasses. Um, can't, can't, can't look at your, your love, you know, in the eyes, she can't see you. So it's cool to be able to blast people, but I also want my eyes. Well, I guess then, I, I mean, okay, cool. I, I, then to add to that one is probably rope, right? Being able mm, to yep. absorb somebody's superpower and like, you can't have that like physical connection with, with other people. And and they were a couple. So that was like a perfect, uh, a perfect were combination. They, they were I feel like yeah. they were all. They were all couples at some point. Yeah, right? but no, like Scott Summers and uh, yeah, no, definitely. They had a thing and then Wolverine was in the mix. It was a whole drama. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So absorbing other people's superpowers by touching them. That would be the superpower I don't want. Um, and then I think this is, I think this one's the last one. Um, uh, Jaletka asks, you aim to play the game so well that you can win and be free of it. This will allow you to focus your efforts on doing something you really want to do. So what's the next game? Huh. Can you read that one more time? I'm sorry. Yeah. I got a phone call literally while you were asking. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, you aim to play the game so well that you can win and be free of it. This will allow you to focus your efforts on doing something you really want to do. So what's the next game? That's such a, like a philosophical question. Yeah. Um, I mean, I say this in the humblest way possible. I feel like I've already won the game that I have to play, and now I'm just playing the game that I want to play. And, um, you know, I'm somebody who, back to the curiosity point, has the tendency to want to jump into, like, different stuff and expose myself to, like, new projects and new things. And I think when you're building a business, and, you know, I'm sure you feel this, like, there's just, like, a lot of grinding, and there's, like, the plateau that you have to go through. And so the game that I think I have to play now is really focusing most of my energy on, on Boardbox um, because uh, it, it deserves it. It's an idea that I want to exist. I have a great co-founder I'm working with. Um, I convinced him to be a pseudonym as well. And um, yeah, I, I think that's that's the game that we're going to be playing for the next few years. Um, and my hope is that, you know, down the road, as the big game companies get, uh, you know, into this space, they're going to be coming to us. It's not going to just be like the indie studios and like the blockchain games that want to work with us. It's going to be Activision and Epic and and everybody else who wants to work with us. And I think that's that's going to be like a sign of like, okay, this 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 game is like we're playing at the elite level now, right. um, and we're going to help make that happen. Yeah, no, that that makes so much sense. Like to me, it's it's very much it's like doing things that I want to do. It's it's funny because like people are like, oh, what's next? I'm like, they're like, what are you going to do after? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just going to keep on doing what I want to do until I don't, until it's no longer fun. Right. And like, yeah. to me, it's like, you know, what I find fun is, you know, helping 
onboard, you know, how do we get a hundred million? How do we get a billion people into NFTs and, and therefore into crypto as well? Right. And that to me is like the fun game. That's the game that I'm playing now. So yeah, I, we're, we're both playing it in different ways, which is great. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Bordilan, thank you for, for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you taking the time, uh, explaining everything to us for, for everybody that wants to find out more information about the project, what's the the best way for them to do so? Yeah, uh, boardbox.io is is the best uh, place to get more information. Uh, follow me on Twitter. You can tweet questions at me, make fun of me, whatever. I'm usually pretty responsive. Um, <laughs> that that that's basically it. And uh, we've got like a lot of you know FAQ and info on the site. But honestly, if anything is is in need of clarity, um, I always welcome people just to ping me directly and I'll try to answer as best as I can. All right, awesome. And right before I let you go, what's your favorite NFT? <sighs> ah, man. I don't wanna answer the question based on value. Um, that would probably be my apes, but um, I'm gonna go with the altered state machine brains. So um, there are these really beautiful visualizations of an artificial intelligence, and they're building these NFTs to basically represent um, uh, an AI that they're building out. And those AIs are going to be used in a lot of different places, including gaming, where you can train the AI to play as like a co-player to you. Uh, as an NPC, like a non-playable character, um, or just to like straight up like autoplay games for you where that's possible. So like, you know, imagine a racing game where, you know, it's it's, vehic it's vehicular combat where you need a driver and a shooter and you can train the AI to be the driver while you're like, you know, manning the, the weapon, something like that. So I think that's such a cool use of NFTs. You know, it's not just like an image. Like that is, if you're talking about like utility, like man, that is an NFT with utility. It's still in development, but it's one that I'm watching and I think it's my favorite right now. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I have three or four of them and I love the artwork. Uh, the artwork is great and I love like the future utility of them. So I, I'm with you 100% on, on the, the ASM brains. So, but yeah, yeah, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Always, um, a, always a great chat with you. Yeah, awesome. And, and thank you and uh, I'll see everybody next week. Thanks.